I'm excited about this morning's service. Uh, I hope y'all are with me. I believe it's kind of meaty, but you guys can handle the meat of God's word. Amen. Uh, I want you to remember this phrase. As I've been praying, the Lord's been dealing with me this year, and uh, this is what he's been ministering to me this year. He's been talking to me about progress, not perfection. I think sometimes Robert has got so caught up in trying to be perfect that I, I, I forget to make progress in Jesus. Friends, it's not about perfection. He's the perfect one. It's about our progress and our pursuit of the perfect one. And as we pursue the perfect one, we will make progress in our lives. And friends, you should see progress. I want this to be your, your goal for this year, that you'll be a better disciple of Jesus tomorrow than you were today. That you'd be a better follower of Christ next week than you are this week. Let us just make progress every day in him. And then when we look back at the end of the year, when we come to December 31st of 2024, we'll look back and we'll see a lot of progress that we made pursuing the perfect one. Amen? And when it comes to this progress, I think we have to start here. We have to start with a life of worship. Friends, that's what you've been called to. I know lots of times, and uh, maybe you don't make this mistake, but you know, when we're in this corporate anointing and we're corporately worshiping to God, uh, uh, our worship does not start and end in this place. We're called to a life of worship. We're supposed to live this life of worship in Jesus Christ outside these four walls of this building. Amen. It does, your life of worship doesn't stop when Ted and the band stop singing. Right now, even as you're listening to the word and listening to me to talk, you're still living a life of worship. As we don't shut it off and turn it on, that's who we are, and that's who we are all the time. I want to go to a familiar text this morning, and we're gonna, this is going to be our main text for the whole service when we talk about a life of worship. We're going to go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to read out of the King James Version. Excuse me, I've got to clear my throat. Praise the Lord. And so we're going to refer to this scripture a lot. Uh, Romans 12, verse 1, says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. We can just stop right there. Are you grateful for his mercy? His mercy is important. And you as Christians are supposed to be merciful. You remember when Jesus rebuked them for their tithe, and he said that you've brought the tithe of your herb, but you forgot the more weighty matters, which is justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So he wants us to remember his mercies, and he wants us to be merciful. But you won't be merciful until you're worshipful. You won't live a life of mercy. You won't extend mercy to others as God has extended mercy to you until you live a life of worship. And so he's saying, and, and the Apostle Paul talks a lot about the mercies of God. Really, the book of Romans is a lot about the mercy of God from chapters 1 all the way through 11. He's focusing on the mercy of God. And then even in chapter 12, after he's talking about this, he refers more to the mercies of God. The mercy of God is, is, is important. And what I want you to see here is when it comes to the mercies of God, you remember in the Old Testament, they used to make sacrifices to God. And it was lambs and goats and bulls. And, and it seems like the mercy of God that was extended to them called out for that particular sacrifice. But I believe the greater the mercy, the greater the sacrifice. Greater mercies have been shown unto us, which means it requires a greater sacrifice to be shown back to God. The sacrifice they showed them was the, the blood of goats and lambs, but the sacrifice we show is our life. 
And the Apostle Paul begins to dig into this a little bit. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And so I want to break down this verse. Is that okay this morning? And we're going to look at every part of this, and we're going to focus on these four different areas. Your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. And so I want to start with the body. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 again, I beseech you therefore, brothers, so I have the mercies of God, present your bodies. Pastor Rhonda says this, the only problem with a living sacrifice is sometimes when you present it on the altar, it tries to get up and walk away. Your body does not like being a sacrifice unto God. And I know in Christian circles, we focus a lot on the heart because when you got born again, you got recreated in your spirit. He took the heart of stone out of you and he put on the inside of you a heart of flesh, right? He removed Adam's nature, your sin nature, and he gave you a brand new nature, which is Christ's nature. That's the nature of God that's on the inside of you. We know this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says that you became what? A new creation in Christ Jesus. So you became something that never existed before. And we focus a lot on on that in Christian circles. We focus a lot on the heart, as we should. We focus a lot on the soul because Jesus is the healer of the brokenhearted. He wants to minister to your soul, which is your mind, your will, your emotions. Even in this chapter, the very next verse, the Apostle Paul talks about what? Renewing your mind with the Word of God. And so we focus a lot on that in Christian circles. But listen to me, friends. You don't go anywhere without your body. Your mind, your spirit, Your soul, they live in your body. If your mind is going to worship God, your body has to take it to a place of worship. Your mind cannot pick up the word of God by itself and begin to renew itself without your body doing something. And so part of this we must understand, when we come to God, we're supposed to worship him. This life of worship is all-inclusive, meaning there's no part of your being that is left out from this life of worship. We're supposed to bring our bodies unto him. When we offer our bodies a living sacrifice, it means that we're offering our behavior. When we offer our bodies a living sacrifice, it means that we're offering our behavior. Woo, since you're so excited about it, I'm going to say it again. When we offer our bodies a living sacrifice unto God, it means that we're offering our behavior. And to this world, friends, your healed heart doesn't show them who Jesus is. Your renewed mind doesn't show them who Jesus is. Your behavior shows them who Jesus is. And in large part, the world doesn't see Jesus because the behavior of the church does not represent this wonderful Savior. Someone say, my behavior. Philippians chapter 1 verse 20 says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed But I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or by my death. Let me just have courage that Jesus will be exalted in my body through my life or through my death. The goal is Jesus is exalted. 
over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20. Three, flee from sexual immorality. Now, I said that this is kind of a, ma- a meaty message, but y'all can handle it. Amen. We're a mature church. I believe that with all my heart. So here in the book of Corinthians, he says, flee from sexual immorality. You know, it doesn't matter. I've heard so many people say this. Well, the times have changed. The word has not, friends. And just like it was applicable back then, it's applicable today. Right? And so if the word of God tells me that there's certain things I'm supposed to flee from, then guess what? There's certain things I'm supposed to flee from. Flee from sexual immorality. So if there's sexual immorality, then there's a moral way to have sex and to do this thing. All right, well, all other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. What are we talking about? Presenting our bodies to God. Verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Wow. I just want to honor God with my body. Remember, it's not about perfection. It's about progress. So let me make progress in honoring God with my body. When I'm in traffic and I'm frustrated, let me honor God with my body. When my employer gives me a deadline that I cannot meet, let me honor God in my body. When my spouse is causing frustration, it's quiet in here this morning. Let me honor God with my body. When my children are finding wonderful ways to agitate me and irritate me like never before, let me honor God in my body. My physical reaction to these things, let me honor God. Romans chapter 6 verse 13 out of the Amplified says, Do not go on offering members of your body. Someone say my body. Do not go on offering members of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but offer yourselves to God. We're talking about a life of worship. Most of us do not offer our bodies to wickedness when we're sitting in this room. Because we've made a conscious decision that this is time for worship. This space is space for God. This space is space for me to worship him, to come and honor him, to praise him, to glorify him. I'm asking you, keep that in mind when you leave this place. Just like, just like you're not submitting yourself and the members of your body unto wickedness in this room, leave this room understanding that worship is not exclusive to this building. It is a life of worship. And when you boil it down, worship is really about the sacrifice you're making unto God. The praise and worship team, when they're leading us, they're not leading us in a song. They're leading us in worship. And really, you could say it this way. They're leading us in a presentation of a sacrifice. We make worship too much about music. Music is just music. Really, it's poetry. 
Worship is about a sacrifice, about bringing something to the altar. Worship, you know, songs is just the vehicle that we use to present our bodies a sacrifice to God. And, and this is the reason, now this is not my subject today, but have you ever been in a church service and, and, and all of a sudden, a, cer- a certain song will play that people like. And, and man, the anointing is in the room. And it's really strong. And then after service, we say, "Woo, that song really slapped. That song was so good. The first two songs weren't great. But that third song, <laughs> woo, I felt it. You want to know what really happened? Is that third song that people like, they chose to present themselves as a sacrifice. If we would just present ourselves as a sacrifice, regardless of the song that is being played, we would see the anointing on a consistent basis and a very high level. It's not about the song. It's about Robert presenting himself. Regardless, because they're leading me in the offering of a sacrifice. And then even after worship is done, then the minister, Pastor Mark, whoever it is, they're still leading us and offering our bodies as a sacrifice. Right now, you're putting your body on the altar as a sacrifice. As we study the word together, so many people, when the worship's done, they think when the songs are over, they think worship has stopped. No, you're still worshiping God in your body as you read the word of God. Because it's a life of worship. It's not a song of worship. Woo, Pastor Mark's message today was so good. And I received from it. Well, that's because you made a conscious effort to present yourself a sacrifice while he was ministering so that allowed the Holy Spirit to have access to your heart. It's amazing how 200 people can be in the room. 20 leave blessed and 180 leave like, well, he missed it. Those 20 just made a decision. I will present my body as a sacrifice. No matter if it's Robert who's ministering or Pastor Belinda or Pastor Rhonda or Pastor Mark. It doesn't matter if it's Reverend Opal or Hill School. It doesn't matter if, the, if, if no one's ministering and just the anointing in the room. I'm going to continually present my body as a sacrifice. I'm not presenting it to anything else. I'm presenting it to God. It is a life of Worship, but offer yourselves to God in a decisive act as those alive raised from the dead to new life and your members, all your ability, sanctified, set apart as instruments of righteousness yielded to God. I present my body as an instrument of righteousness. Am I perfect at it? No, friends, but I've made progress. I'm better at doing it today than I was yesterday. I present my body an instrument of righteousness so this world can see our glorious Savior. Present your body. So first of all, we must present our bodies. Next, a living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. We looked at bodies. A living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Sacrifice. Let every act of your body in living. Now this isn't scripture, this is a quote. Let every act of your body in living be an act of worship. Y'all hear that? Let every act 
of your body and living be an act of worship. That is, let every act of your living body be a demonstration that God is your treasure. Let every act, this is what living sacrifices do. They point to him. And I found one of my favorite scriptures that we use all the time when it comes to worship, Hebrews 13, 15. I believe it shows us what this living sacrifice looks like. Hebrews 13, 15 through 16, it says, through Jesus. Therefore, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips. Openly profess his name and do not forget to do good and to share with others which such sacrifices God is pleased. So in this scripture, we see a couple keys to being a living sacrifice. One, it's by him. You can only be a living sacrifice through Jesus Christ. It's the only way you're raised unto new life. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18 says, For through him... We both have access by one spirit unto the Father. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says, Ye osley, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthold, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. You present yourself a sacrifice through and by Jesus Christ. It's the only way you can be a living sacrifice to God. Because Jesus is the only way you can be forgiven of your sins. It's the only way you can be raised from death unto life. It's the only way that your name can be written down in the Lamb's Book of Life is through Jesus. And it's the only way that we can worship the Father. Access comes through him. Number two, continually. Our life of worship isn't based on circumstances. Our life of worship is isn't based on circumstances. We offer it continually no matter what is going on. I don't know about you guys. Maybe you're super Christian out there. But there's mornings where I wake up and I don't feel Christian. There's mornings I wake up and I don't feel like being a living sacrifice. Y'all looking at me like I'm the only one. But I know better. There's mornings where I wake up and I don't want to present myself as this living sacrifice to God. Being a living sacrifice is not based off of how you feel. It's not based off of emotions. Listen, friends, what we do in this room is not emotionalism. This life of worship is not dictated by my emotions. This life of worship is not dictated by circumstances. This is why a lot of people fall away from God because when things get difficult, their circumstances dictate how they worship God. We're not just a living sacrifice when it's good, but also when it's ugly. And friends, if you live in this world, sometimes it's going to be ugly. You know what's really going to pull you through? Your life of worship. That's how you walk through the valley of the shadow of death is by a life of worship, that life continually connected to him. Amen. I'm not doing it based off my circumstances. Over here in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 19 through 20, David, he's down bad. He's going through a lot of stuff because of his own mistakes. But watch what happens here. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Verse 20. Then David got up from the ground, after he had washed and put lotions on, changed his clothes, and went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. David worshipped in his pain. 
His worship and, and being a living sacrifice was not contingent on everything around him being perfect. Being a living sacrifice was not contingent on, 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 on pastor having a perfect message. Being a living sacrifice wasn't contingent on Ted and the band playing the perfect song. His life of worship and being a living sacrifice wasn't contingent on whether somebody in traffic knew how to use their blinker or not. Being this sacrifice, he determined, I'm going to go ahead and be a living sacrifice no matter what's going on. I'm going to do it continually regardless of my situation. Number three that we see here in Hebrews chapter 13, the sacrifice of praise, meaning what? That it's costly or inconvenient. It's costly or inconvenient. The sacrifice that we make unto God should cost us something. Let me, let me just go ahead and, and, and take a, a side journey here. Here at the end of the message, I don't know if anybody's in the room who's never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but at the end of the message, we're going to give you that opportunity. And I'm really glad that we're doing this as a church, but when people raise their hand to get born again, we then invite them to come down to the altar and join us for prayer. And a lot of churches have moved away from that, but I think in moving away from that, we've created a lot of problems because when you get born again, from the very beginning of your life with Jesus, we should teach you it is going to cost you something. And so in that moment, when we invite people down to the altar, what we're saying unto them, get used to this feeling. I want it to cost you a chunk of flesh. I want it to cost you in your feelings and your emotions. I want it to cost you. If it's embarrassing, then I want it to cost you. And, and I, it, we need to learn that following him cost us something. To honor the Father, it costs Jesus everything. We must learn. To honor the Father, it's going to cost us something. This is why in other parts of the world, Christianity is so much stronger than it is in America, because in America, it doesn't cost us anything. Over there, it costs them their lives. They go out and preach in, in places like India and Iran and Iraq and Nepal. And they go out and they preach in Egypt and all these places where they could die in a moment for preaching the gospel of Jesus. The American church must realize that following after him must cost me something. Otherwise, I'm going to be a weak Christian. And if I'm a weak Christian, then the devil is just going to be able to run all over me. The sacrifice must be costly or inconvenient. 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24. But the king replied to Arana, No, I insist on paying for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. I want to present something to him that cost me something. You know, when we're lifting holy hands and worshiping God. That's an action of the body when we're, when we're shouting or when we're jumping or when we're dancing, when we're rejoicing in the Lord. These are all biblical ways to praise him and to worship him. Now, we got to follow the rivers and the flows of the Holy Ghost. If it's really somber in here, then there shouldn't be anyone running around the room. Right? 
But if the atmosphere and the Holy Spirit is very up and we're very active, then we ought to jump in and we ought to just worship him that way. But what we have to understand is, is lots of times people don't lift their hands because it costs them just a little too much. We don't yield completely because of what it's going to, well, that's just not who I am. No, you just don't want to pray the price to worship in that way. It should be costly. God, he's really challenged me. Someone say progress. progress. He's really challenged me this year to even go a little further and step it up. And so he's given, and I'm not trying to flex on you. All I can do is tell you my stories, all right? And so I'm reading Pastor Mark's devotional. I have another devotional by Charles Stanley, which is very good. I'm reading the one-year Bible. And then on top of that, I have my personal Bible and prayer time with the Lord. And so every single day, it's just we're doing a lot to grow in him, yeah. right? But this is what I found. In order to continue to make that progress, it's continuing to cost me more and more. It's costing me more of my TV time. It's costing me more of my video game time. It's costing me more of this. This, this life of worship, as I grow in Him, it becomes more and more costly. And if you really want to have a reverence for him, once it starts costing you something, you start reverencing him in a whole new way. Because you start getting a sense for the sacrifice that it cost him. We go over to Genesis chapter 4. We don't really have time to get into it, but it's where Cain and Abel offered their sacrifices unto God. God received one and rejected the other. The one he rejected was because it didn't cost Cain anything. And actually the way he presented it, he presented it in such a way that had an attitude as, I don't need you. And because Cain offered the vegetables of his land in the certain time, that's what the scriptures tell us, he offered it unto God, but it wasn't costly. It communicated the heart. I wonder how many times do I offer my life as a life of worship, but it shows God, I, I, I'm presenting it in such a way that shows you I don't really need you. See, Abel brought one of his best lambs and presented it unto God. And, and because he presented a living sacrifice and his very best unto God, God was able to receive it. Because in the presentation of that lamb, he was saying, I'm bringing this to you. Because if I give you this lamb, then there's no other lambs coming from it. So I'm giving you something that is saying, I absolutely need you to live because I'm giving away something that's going to produce life for me. Because in this lamb is more ewes to come and I can sell them and I can harvest them and I can get their wool and I can do this and I can do that. So this is my life right here that I'm giving to you. And in presentation of that lamb, of that sacrifice, his presentation said, God, I need you. Let us offer this sacrifice of praise in such a way that communicates to God, we need you. Friends, without him, I can do nothing. Without him, I am nothing. He's everything. And so I present myself in a way that proves it. Number four, here in Hebrews 13, showing us how to present ourselves a living sacrifice. He says, with the fruit of our lips, meaning what? It's more than thoughts. It is spoken out unto the Lord. Tell him that you love him. Speak it out unto the Lord. 
Sing it out unto the Lord. Psalms 119, 171 says, May my lips overflow with praise for you. Teach me your decrees. May my tongue sing of your word, for all your commandments are righteous. Psalms 51, 15. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praises. And so we present ourselves in bodies. We present ourselves a living sacrifice. And then next, he says, holy. The church's favorite word. Holy. Romans 12, 1 again says, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. Someone say holy. holy. The word holy in the Hebrew is kodesh, which means to be sanctified, consecrated, and dedicated, or to be separated from the world and worldliness. We are called to be separated <clears throat> from the world and from worldliness. John 15, 18 19, eight through 19 says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. We're holy. Which means we're separated from the world and worldliness. We don't behave as they behave. We don't think as they think. We love as he loves. We show mercy as he's shown mercy. We're faithful as he's faithful. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16 says, As obedient children, do not conform to your evil desires which you had which you lived when you lived in your ignorance. But just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. Be holy in all that you do. What does that mean? Just set apart. So when everybody at work is complaining about the boss, let me just be holy. Let me be set apart from that conversation. When everybody else is taking corners and doing things the easy way, in that moment, let me be holy. Let me be set apart from the world and worldliness. When I'm on my computer and something pops up, that's going to cause me to cheat on my wife. In that moment, let me be separated. Let me be holy. When I'm agitated in my flesh and I want to yell at my children, in that moment, let me be separated. Remember how we started, not perfection, but progress. So you may fail at this tomorrow. What do you do? Pick yourself up and go at it again. Let me separate myself from this world so they can see him. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness and from the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in fear of God. If we're going to live holy, we must have a fear of the Almighty. Not a fear that he's going to strike us down, but a fear of displeasing him. I want my life to be a pleasing aroma in the nostrils of God. I'm not afraid that he's going to strike me down. He's not like that. But I don't want to be displeasing to the one who's given me everything. I want the way I treat my wife. I want the way I treat my children. I want the way I treat my, my, my family and my church friends and my boss and the employees that I work with. I want the way that I treat all those people to be a representation of how I don't want to displease him. I want the way I love my wife to be pleasing to God. 
I want the way I love you to be pleasing to God. I want the way I drive in traffic to be pleasing to God. I want the way I work at my desk to be pleasing to God. In everything, let us be pleasing. Ephesians chapter 4 out of the Amplified says, So I, a prisoner of the Lord, appeal to you, live a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That is, to live a life that exhibits godly character, moral courage. Friends, in this day and age, you need it. Moral courage. Have the courage to do what is moral. And let me tell you where your morality comes from. It comes from the word of God. Doesn't come from family. Doesn't come from politicians. Doesn't even come necessarily from your pastor. It comes from the word of God. This is our moral compass. And we need courage to follow this moral compass in this day and age. Moral courage, personal integrity, and mature behavior. A life that expresses gratitude to God for salvation. And then finally, our reasonable and acceptable service. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What does that mean? Acceptable to God. Reasonable service. What does that mean? I found a parable that I think describes it very well. The parable of the chicken and the pig. A farmer once approached a chicken and a pig and he asked a heart-searching question. Will you contribute to a ham and an egg breakfast? For the one, it was merely a contribution. For the other, it involved an absolute sacrifice. This is what a reasonable and acceptable service looks like unto the Lord. The absolute sacrifice of our entire life. I'm not just making a contribution to Christianity. I'm making the absolute sacrifice to live as a Christian. What does that mean? I'm giving my whole life. I'm not withholding anything. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 says, From already being poured out, like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. Poured out has the idea of complete giving, with no reservation. The liquid is completely emptied from the cup and totally given to God. The liquid is completely emptied from the cup and totally given to God. Friends, let me ask you this question. Is there any area of your life that is not being poured out? Are you holding back any reservations when it comes to giving this absolute sacrifice to God? I'll ask you to be my Lord and be my Savior, but I'm going to keep this over here just for me. Anything you keep over here just for you means you're not being an acceptable and reasonable sacrifice to the Lord. He wants all of us all of my being, my body, my mind, my soul, my thoughts, my words. He wants it all. So let me ask you the question. Is there any part of your life that's not being poured out as an offering before the Lord? I would encourage you this morning to withhold it no longer. 
Just say, Father, I'll pour this out for you. I will give you everything. Romans chapter 8, 14. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. I belong to him. Everything I say, everything I do. Am I perfect at it? No, but I'm making progress. I want to challenge you to make progress in loving God, being acceptable unto God, and committing your life as a reasonable service unto God. One last time, Romans chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service.